Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no spy girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Afterlives is a production of iHeart Podcasts and the Outspoken Podcast Network in partnership with School of Humans. Just a heads up, the following episode discusses transphobia, sexism, racism, violence, police violence, and sexual assault. Take care while listening. Melania Brown, Laylene Polanco's oldest sibling, learned of her death on a phone call with their brother, Solomon. It was on a Friday. I was coming out of work. I went to go pick up the girls. That's when Solomon called me and told me what happened with Laylene. After correction officers showed up at their mother's doorstep, Solomon relayed the news. I remember screaming at him and cursing him out. My next reaction was just to run. I remember I just ran. I ran, ran until I got tired. I mean, I ran so far that I needed somebody to come back and pick me up. Naturally, it was a lot to process. Melania didn't even know that Laylene was in Rikers at the time. She had been on the other end of another long period where Laylene had gone dark. And then the next couple of days after that, I was in denial. She'd expected Laylene to reappear out of the blue, like all the other times she went off the radar. I am still working through that with therapy, but at that time I was like, you hear about this on the news, you never think it will be one of your loved ones, right? Before Melania had a chance to wrap her head around what happened, before she could even plan her sister's funeral... Laylene's death became a local and then a national news story. Everything happened so fast. Friday it happened. Monday, I believe, was already meeting Eliel. It was like Friday night of June 7th when Laylene died. And I saw a four-sentence article from the New York Post and it just said at the time, transgender inmate was found unresponsive or dead. Eliel Cruz is a community organizer. In 2019, he was director of communications for the Anti-Violence Project, 
the largest organization focused on anti-LGBTQ violence in the country. I sent it to my Slack team and that began the process of us beginning to organize on behalf of Leland Polanco. At the time, the DOC was the only entity giving details about Laylene's death. Eliel knew her story deserved to be told with care and nuance. He and his team got to work quickly. They gathered trans organizers to plan a rally in her name. It would be held on that Monday, just three days after her death. This is how Laylene's story entered my life. Sometime in the hours after learning about Laylene, Eliel texted me asking if I had heard. It wasn't a surprising message. For years, I'd been speaking up and writing about the violence that trans women of color face. What did surprise me was that, unlike many trans women who've been murdered, Laylene wasn't killed by a lover or some random bigot in the street. No, she died under state custody. As Eliel and I exchanged brief words, he vowed to keep me posted on all that unfolded. Soon after, the Anti-Violence Project reached out to Melania and other members of the family, inviting them to be a part of the rally, too. They rolled in deep with, like, the mom, the brother, two or three of the best friends, and we met in our conferences office and it was incredibly solemn and Melania remembers me crying in the corner and she told me later she didn't understand why someone was crying so hard for somebody that she didn't know but I've always just felt really connected to Laylene in so many different ways her being in the house in the ballroom scene and then being someone who loves going out in the club scene and nightlife scene which is very much me she was 27 when she died I was 28 and again, her family looks and acts a lot like my family, I'm Dominican, I'm Puerto Rican. There were just so many different ways that I felt very spiritually connected to Laylene. If you ask Melania, she'll say that Laylene sent me to them. Laylene's family and friends took a short walk with Eliel from the Anti-Violence Project's offices in downtown Manhattan to the rally in Foley Square, where 600 people had come together. I remember him asking, do you want to say a few words? You don't have to, again. You don't have to do any of this. And I'm like, yeah, I want to. Now I'm there and I hate talking in front of people. I'm like, I didn't even want to walk across the stage for my own graduation. But that day I wasn't scared. I remember he gave me the mic and everything else was history after that. The days immediately following Laylene's death were critical. Not only would they set the groundwork for an ongoing movement in her name, but they would change her family and friends forever. Their grief gave way to action. I'm Raquel Willis, and this is Afterlives. Not resting in peace.
On that drizzly Monday evening after Laylene's death, Melania bravely summoned her voice at her most vulnerable moment and made it heard. With tears in her eyes, she said, they treated my sister like she was nothing for how she decided to be happy. We couldn't get access to any recording of her speech, but I remember how the audience was right there in that moment with her, captivated. I felt overwhelming, but I also felt, I don't know, like I wasn't alone. Like my family wasn't alone. Like the world wants to know what happened to Laylene. These humans that are here that don't know me from a hole in the wall want to help and they came out for her. I remember Laylene will always say, I'm going to be famous one day. Watch, and everybody's going to talk about me. That was like her thing. I'm like, okay, girl, yeah, you're going to be famous. Like, you know, so just seeing all that, like, I remember her voice in my head saying that. And I'm like, oh my gosh, she's like, it was a powerful crowd. And people had posters with her face on them, her name on them. It was a lot to take in for a person like me. The life-changing loss of her sister would transform her into an outspoken activist whose organizing work came to be known far beyond the city limits. I took in the scores of people who showed up at that rally. I saw their grief and rage. When it was my turn to speak... I thought a lot about the power of naming our ancestors, invoking their enduring spirits, and the importance of backing that up with transformative action. But we are in a war. Don't get it twisted. This is a recording of my speech on that day, aired by Democracy Now! Black and brown trans people have been in the war since we were born. And so if you are invoking the names of Marsha or invoking the names of Sylvia mm -hmm. or Miss Major mm -hmm. or Stormay or mm -hmm. any of these architects of our movement, fuck you if you are not yes! centering yes! black and brown trans I can tell you that at that rally, we did center trans women of color. We heard from many women who could relate to Laylene's story in a deeply personal way, who felt like her fate could have been their own. Then, actor and activist India Moore closed out the demonstration. Laylene Polanco, the most recently slain, a black trans woman. I looked up to her. That same year, India was named one of Time Magazine's most influential people of 2019. Their voice and their presence brought much-needed attention to Laylene's story. And it also highlighted a reality. Even as trans folks were gaining more visibility, we still weren't protected in the ways that all people deserve. When you're a young trans person, you have the trans women and people around you to look to. Here's more from Democracy Now!'s coverage of the rally. When you imagine where you want to see yourself and your life, Laylene was one of those girls for me. We are all worthy of safety and protection everywhere. We will not back down and rest in peace no more. 
In the days and weeks after that rally, Laylene's story came up in interviews and social media posts from New York Mayor Bill de Blasio, Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, and then-presidential candidate Elizabeth Warren. People weren't just saying Laylene's name. They were talking about accountability and provoking change. We were already seeing that something about Laylene's story was different. When I created the Trans Obituaries Project for Out Magazine in 2019, I set out to document and honor the lives of trans women of color lost. One of the reasons I felt the need to write obituaries for these souls was that their names and their experiences were rarely elevated. Often, they become statistics and have their names folded into talking points about grief and injustice, and that was that. Laylene's death intersected with so many issues, from trans justice to the criminalization of sex work to bail and solitary confinement. It was impossible to look away. She died during Pride Month and the 50th anniversary of the Stonewall Uprising. Her death and the deaths of many trans people of color were a stark reminder that Pride was rooted in protest. It wasn't just a celebration. It was a rallying cry that began with the resistance of queer and trans folks of color. That year, while Pride was bigger and louder than ever, the advocacy for Laylene turned up as well. Melania was at the center of that charge. During 2019 and beyond, she became a voice for numerous issues that Laylene's death made more urgent. She spoke with me as part of the original Trans Obituaries Project and did interviews for Vogue, The City, and at New York Public Radio's The Green Space. She spoke at city council hearings and protested at rallies, not only for her sister, but also for the end of solitary confinement and decreasing the population at Rikers. The months after her sister's death were some of the busiest and most draining in Melania's life. It all culminated a year later when Melania spoke in front of the largest crowd she'd ever addressed at Brooklyn Liberation, the March for Black Trans Lives. I'm going to be telling my grandkids about that one. If you asked me then at that first rally if I was going to be standing in front of over 15,000 people, I would have been like, you're crazy. Absolutely not. She did it, though. And her speech made it known that New Yorkers and people everywhere had not forgotten about Laylene. And I'm the voice of my sister. And I will continue to fight for her. She is not here to fight for her son. She is not here to speak for her son or for you guys. But I'm here. I'm here. This is what it's all about. Us coming together. And every time they knock one of us down, we come strong. Yeah. 
remember everyone that we have lost. We never stop saying their names. We never stop saying their names, ever. We'll be right back. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. With the best all-inclusive vacation deals to Mexico and the Caribbean, booking your getaway with cheap Caribbean vacations means you have more freedom to do your deal. Whether you want to enjoy snorkeling, endless margaritas, and more, or simply soak up the sun and sand in a tropical paradise, Cheap Caribbean Vacations has your deal for that. Plan and book the exact getaway you want at exactly the right price for you by using our exclusive Budget Beach Finder or find a featured all-inclusive package to Generations Riviera Maya Resort and do your deal at CheapCaribbean.com. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash ConcertWeek to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Welcome back to Afterlives. In the immediate aftermath of Laylene's death, Melania became a central voice in the effort to raise awareness about her loss and the many systemic issues it intersected with. But alongside rallies and protests was a more personal reality. Laylene's family still had to put her to rest. I went to the funeral home and... Before her funeral on June 15th, 2019, Melania knew she needed to see her sister just one more time. I remember I begged the owner and I'm like, you have to let me dress her. You have to let me do her hair. You have to. And one of her friends is going to come and she's going to do her makeup. And I remember he's like, we don't do that. But I didn't give up. I harass that man. I'm like, if I don't, she's going to hunt me. I'm telling you, you do not know my sister. She is going to make like creepy noises and she is just going to like torture me for the rest of my life. I have to do this. The funeral director gave in and Melania got the time with Laylene that she wanted. She washed her hair and dressed her in a tutu and a little crown. Melania took charge of the funeral. She wanted it to reflect the vibrancy of her sister's life. I didn't want nobody sad because Laylene was the life of the party, right? She liked to make everybody happy and everybody smile. She always questioned why people wear all black to funerals. Like, that was a big thing of hers. 
I told everybody, do not wear black. Any color that you want, any color from the rainbow, no black. I ordered her flowers, and it was like the rainbow flowers. They were very beautiful. I've never seen a funeral so bright and so many colors. And usually funerals are very quiet, but I made sure that I play her house music because she loved her house music. The service was unapologetic, just like Leilene. I wish every victim had this kind of memorial, including other trans women who had their lives cut short in the weeks surrounding Pride Month in 2019. The script hasn't been rewritten yet. Here's Beverly Tillery, the executive director of the Anti-Violence Project, or AVP. At that time where we were celebrating the 50th anniversary of Stonewall, AVP was one of the organizations really reminding people who had lost sight of the fact that Stonewall was really about our community's response to violence. She and Eliel worked together on organizing efforts on Laylene's behalf. We really tried to play a role in that conversation and try to remind people that we haven't come out of that violence. Pride season in 2019 was especially violent. AVP published a special report titled Pride and Pain to bring attention to just how dire the situation was. They tracked violence in the LGBTQ community in the U.S. from May 15th to June 15th. We counted 14 homicides. Seven of those victims were Black trans women. We counted two fatalities in detention. Both of those victims were trans women of color. We tracked six dating, hookup, and intimate partner violence incidents and 22 anti-LGBTQ protests. I talk and think about this violence all the time, but it's different to like name people's names and think about the real people, right? It's important to do, and also it's really hard. This series is about Laylene, but it's also about all of the queer and trans people we've lost. Their deaths and legacies are connected. When Beverly started to read these names to me, I felt a lump in my chest. They were hard to hear, but necessary. We took our time. We took deep breaths together. If you feel the need, I encourage you to do so as well. May 18th of 2019, there was a hate violence fatality in Dallas, Texas. Mulasia Booker, a 23-year-old Black trans woman, was killed just a month after a video of her being beaten went viral. On May 19th of 2019, Michelle Washington, a 40-year-old Black trans woman, was shot and killed in North Philadelphia. I'm with you in it. I don't want you to to think that you're alone. Okay. May 25th, 2019, in Detroit, Michigan, Alente Davis, a 21-year-old Black gay man, Paris Cameron, a 20-year-old Black trans woman, 
and Timothy Blanchett, a 20-year-old black gay man, were all targeted by their perceived sexuality and killed while at home. June 5th, 2019, in Lumberton, North Carolina, Chanel Skurlock, a 23-year-old black transgender woman, was robbed and killed by a man she met via an online dating site. On June 4, 2019, a hate violence fatality occurred in Dallas, Texas. Chanel Lindsay, a 26-year-old black trans woman, was killed and found in White Rock Lake. On June 14th, Zoe Spears, a 20-year-old black trans woman, was murdered just outside of Washington, D.C. On June 26, 2019, Brooklyn Lindsay was a 32-year-old black trans woman who was found dead outside of her front porch in Kansas City, Missouri. Okay. Just gonna take a deep breath with you. Okay. One, two, three, inhale. Hold. Release. There's always a balance between re-traumatizing and trying to humanize and tell the stories of the people who lived and that we want to honor. And I feel like we don't always get it right and there isn't necessarily a getting it right, but we want that to be felt because that's important for people to feel that. On June 10th, 2019, three days after Laylene died, the American Medical Association declared that the violence against trans people, and especially trans people of color, constituted an epidemic. This was a significant announcement, making it clear that these deaths were not coincidental. They were not purely individual acts. This was and still is a public health crisis. When we think about this as a public health issue, it puts it in a frame of this is all of our problem to solve. This is about the health of individuals, but also our communities. The path to solutions can be public health paths and not just criminalization, because just having a hate crime distinction or talking about these issues as crimes doesn't end the violence, doesn't prevent people from being harmed. A public health lens also brings attention to the root causes of this violence and the bigger systems at play, like anti-trans sentiment now flagrant in the political sphere and discrimination in schools, places of work, or other institutions like hospitals. We had a number of town halls just with trans folks all across the city. And we asked people, what are the issues that you're most concerned about? And what would make you safer? Over and over again, people talked about 
a lot of those things that we think of as the larger safety net in society. People mention things like we need safe and affordable housing and we need access to education and access to good paying jobs so that we can live in safe communities, that we can be a part of society, that we can contribute and be purposeful. Almost three out of four trans and gender expansive youth hear their families make negative remarks about LGBTQ people. And 40% of homeless young people are LGBTQ. Into adulthood, discrimination remains a constant. According to a study by AVP, trans New Yorkers are actually more likely to have a bachelor's degree than the general population. But they're significantly less likely than other residents to have a full-time job. Sit with that for a second. The disparity between holding a degree yet living in poverty is even starker for trans and gender nonconforming people of color. If you want to stop violence against trans people, you actually have to value them. You have to celebrate them. You have to have uh, ongoing conversation and ongoing reality in which they can see themselves, see the ability to live their best lives. But the reality is that until those changes are made in a meaningful way, trans women in particular often live with a sense of precarity. It's something Kristen Lavelle, the co-director of the HBO documentary The Stroll, highlighted when I spoke with her. That could be any one of us, any one of my friends, you know what I mean? And it's something that is constantly in the back of our mind. You don't know the nights that you go out that you may not make it back. I sit and I think about like how at this point now I've known at least 10 people on these lists. So I try to make it a point to show up to these things in support of the community because the list is just getting longer and longer. So it's still happening and just (sighs) the thing is we never know. We have to be very careful with who we interact with how we interact with people, because we never know how it will turn out. Even in the face of all this loss, there's something that gives me hope. We do have trans elders among us today, people who continue to tell their stories. When it gets hard to say these names and recount the tragedies faced by trans people of color, I find a lot of strength in leaning on the people whose lives and stories are still being written. People like Cecilia Gentili, who is only 51, but embraces the role as an elder in her community. 51 for a trans woman of color in New York City is a victory. Do you consider yourself a trans elder? I am an elder and I am happy to be an elder and I am proud to be an elder. So yes, I'm an elder. You may remember that when Cecilia decided to transition, another trans woman gave her a bleak outlook, telling her that if she wanted to be trans, she could expect to die young. I asked Cecilia about this, thinking she would tell me about all the amazing things she's been able to accomplish. 
But while being an elder has been a blessing, it's also been a source of pain for her. It is a lot of pride on it. You know, <laughs> it is a lot of a surprise feeling. It is a lot of guilt. When I remember all the good people in my life that die, I feel guilty to be alive at times. And that's a cloud over my happiness. Consistently, I made it to 51 and I'm fucking broke. And I always discuss this with my partner because my partner is like, you know, how come you don't have a 401k? How come you don't have savings? Uh, he doesn't do that because he chooses to be an asshole. He does it because he's experience in life allow him to do all of that and he thinks that everybody should have done the same but i'm always telling him like you know i never thought i you make it to 51 so mm -hmm. why would you save for an age that you know you are not gonna make it to i had every opportunity to be dead mm. And I'm still here. You like are. Miss Major say I'm still fucking here. <laughs> Trans people deserve to dream of bright futures and live to see them come to fruition. Every death is an injustice that needs to be named, mourned, and accounted for. But too often when trans people of color are harmed and killed, their stories are not accurately reported. And justice becomes a mirage. Leilene's story and the attention it garnered marked a shift in the status quo. I asked Beverly from the Anti-Violence Project about this. What would you say has changed in regards to the epidemic of violence in the wake of Leilene's death? The community response was so much greater than what we could have expected. I feel like there were so many layers and parts to her story that it spoke to so many people. It sort of reached a point in which we will not go back in terms of our willingness to name and to talk about and to stand up for trans women of color. Some of those people who had gotten activated and politicized after hearing about Leilene that then were like, okay, we're going to stand for trans women. It's not always easy, but I'd like to think that Beverly is right, that there's no going back, that our ancestors are only pushing us forward. After the break, we'll turn to another front of the fight for Leilene. The lawsuit was entitled Polanco versus City of New York. That's when we come back. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. 
That's trinityschool.org. With the best all-inclusive vacation deals to Mexico and the Caribbean, booking your getaway with cheap Caribbean vacations means you have more freedom to do your deal. Whether you want to enjoy snorkeling, endless margaritas, and more, or simply soak up the sun and sand in a tropical paradise, Cheap Caribbean Vacations has your deal for that. Plan and book the exact getaway you want at exactly the right price for you by using our exclusive budget beach finder or find a featured all-inclusive package to Ocean by H10 Hotels and do your deal at CheapCaribbean.com. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. We're back with Afterlives. Struck by grief and unanswered questions, Laylene's family not only spoke out publicly, they also spoke to civil rights attorney David Shanus. Obviously, a horrific tragedy had taken place and the family understandably wanted some quick answers as to why. So we started right away. After Laylene's family got in touch with him, he started reaching out to government officials and city agencies that were investigating the case. When Laylene's death was initially reported, very little information was available. All people knew was that she died in Rikers, not how or where or who was there. Those are the details David set out to find. I would say Laylene's case was somewhat the exception because of how high profile it was. We had a lot of people from the government at least telling us that they wanted to be helpful. I can tell you, having represented other families whose loved ones have died in Rikers Island, that typically these people are not going out of their way to find the family and give them information. Usually it's much more of a black box. But We were able relatively quickly to find out the basics about what had happened and where we needed to go to get some more specific answers. It's hard to hear that what should be the bare minimum is so rare. But as information started to come to light about Laylene's treatment at Rikers and within the carceral system at large, David's course of action became clear. Direct legal action. In August of 2019, David and Laylene's family sued the city. The lawsuit was entitled Polanco versus City of New York. At all, there were a number of individuals who were named in the lawsuit, including correction officers who were there, supervisors, some medical personnel, some of the supervisory correction officials who had authorized Laylene's placement in solitary confinement. Pressure on the city didn't let up in the months that followed. More press came out and more information came to light. Activists remained engaged, pushing for policy change and showing up to court dates for the lawsuit. It took a year, but the following summer, official reports and investigations were finally released. On June 5th, 2020, the Bronx DA put out a press release announcing their decision. 
not to pursue any charges in Leilene's case. This effectively closed the door on anyone being held criminally responsible for her death. No one expected the Bronx DA to to bring charges. People who are familiar with these types of cases know that criminal charges don't get brought for these. Whether they should or shouldn't, that's a different conversation. But we knew that the likelihood of any kind of criminal prosecution was basically nothing from the start. The DA's office also released a nearly 25-page public report detailing their findings about what happened the day Laylene died. It's mostly a play-by-play of the day and a list of reasons why criminal charges didn't apply to Laylene's case. The report also dead-named Laylene, referring to her by a name she no longer used. The following day, the city's Department of Investigation published its own report, assessing whether Department of Correction personnel contributed to Laylene's death. It concluded that they did not. That report also dead-named Laylene. While not many people had faith that the system would lead to justice, it was still disappointing. A reminder that the cards were always stacked against Laylene. But Laylene's family decided to take matters into their own hands. They wanted to show the world what happened so people could see with their own eyes that her death wasn't inevitable and that she could have been saved. On June 13th, they publicly released the security camera footage from outside of Laylene's cell the day she died. Just seeing how those COs could have helped her. Here's Melania. Just seeing how she was treated in her last moments, they killed her. Just by looking at that video, there was no type of human act there. It was monsters with my sister, and that's the last thing she seen was monsters. The video was a turning point. It would add more fuel to Laylene's cause. Even if criminal charges would never come, the public would see what happened inside Rikers. Just one day after its release, Melania channeled that anger and grief into that speech in front of thousands of people at the Brooklyn Liberation March. And to the district DA, I have a few words for her. She called out the DA's office and their report. She was not going to back down. That apology that she made after dead naming my sister when she clearly has the record in my sister's death certificate, which states Leilene Extravaganza Cubilete Polanco. She dead named her. And when I first heard, I didn't even bother, honestly, to read the report because I had no faith in them. How can I trust the people that killed her? I didn't expect anything from them. But then even her, oh, you're going to hear from me. You're going to hear from me. Just over a week later, the Board of Correction, a government watchdog, published their own findings. The purpose of this report wasn't to focus on wrongdoing, but to make recommendations about policy and practices that could prevent something like this from happening in the future. 
David told us this report stood out for being especially thorough and trustworthy. But that didn't mean the DOC or Correctional Health Services had to do anything in response. And most things went unchanged. Activists and Laylene's loved ones had been doing this dance with government officials for over a year at this point. On June 29th, Mayor Bill de Blasio held a press conference. He announced that disciplinary action for Rikers correction officers was being taken. Her family deserves justice. The transgender community deserves justice. We have to right the wrong. There has been accountability. 17 correction officers have been disciplined for suspended without pay, and this is just the start of the disciplinary process. But no other information followed. Beyond the suspensions, it was never made clear what type of disciplinary action would be taken. The president of the Correction Officers Union made a point to say he intended to resist this decision, calling it an egregious abuse of power. It was a tumultuous summer. The movement for Black lives had reached a new level of collective acceptance, capturing how fed up people were across the country with systemic inaction in the face of deaths at the hands of the state. But at the end of August, a year after the lawsuit was first filed, Laylene's family was awarded $5.9 million in a settlement. This was a win. Laylene's life mattered. Here's David. And having obtained the highest settlement the city has ever paid in the case of a, a death in custody, that was also a symbol that what happened to her was unacceptable. On one hand, I agree with David. This was a victory not only for Laylene's family, but for organizers who had sustained pressure on the city for over a year since Laylene's death. This was a symbol that they were heard. But it was only a symbol. It couldn't bring Laylene back. It wasn't even an attempt to change the realities that led to her death. It was money, which had power in and of itself. But for Melania, it couldn't provide the sense of justice she yearned for. For me, it wasn't really the lawsuit. I would like to see change, especially with the LGBTQ community that suffers so much, especially transgender women and women of color. And eventually, my biggest dream is knocking Rikers Island down. Just I want to physically be there and watch it just collapse and maybe something beautiful coming out of it. I still believe that no matter what, my sister's not resting in peace. I believe that her spirit still is in Rikers Island. So my dream is to knock it down. Next time on Afterlives, we'll look beyond the initial rallies and reports to explore policies that pass in Laylene's name and whether they are strong enough to prevent a tragedy like hers from happening in the future. A lot of the big splashy headlines, unfortunately, haven't fully come to fruition. What happened with the Walking Mall Trans Bill, I would have to say, was absolutely phenomenal. So let's take the next step. Let's end solitary confinement altogether. 
Once those cell block doors close, it's hard to enforce rules that politicians make on the outside. This is why we need to be here so that we can avoid unnecessary deaths like this. Trans power! Trans Thank you so much for listening to Afterlives. You can find this episode and future ones on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Please leave us a rating and review to let us know what you think. Afterlives is a production of iHeart Podcasts and the Outspoken Podcast Network in partnership with School of Humans. I'm your host and creator, Raquel Willis. Dylan Hoyer is our senior producer and script writer. Our associate producer is Joey Pat. Sound design and engineering by Daisy Makes Radio Productions, with additional support from Jess Kreinchich. Story editing by Aaron Edwards and Julia Furlan. Fact-checking by Savannah Hugley. Our show art is by Makai Baldwin. Score composed by Wazi Murray. Our production manager is Daisy Church. Special thanks to Eliel Cruz for the recordings of the Brooklyn Liberation March. Executive producers include me, Raquel Willis, and Jay Brunson from the Outspoken Podcast Network. Michael Alder June and Noel Brown from iHeart Podcasts. Virginia Prescott, Brandon Barr, and Elsie Crowley from School of Humans and The Cats Company. School of Humans. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. With the best all-inclusive vacation deals to Mexico and the Caribbean, booking your getaway with cheap Caribbean vacations means you have more freedom to do your deal. Whether you want to enjoy snorkeling, endless margaritas, and more, or simply soak up the sun and sand in a tropical paradise, Cheap Caribbean Vacations has your deal for that. Plan and book the exact getaway you want at exactly the right price for you by using our exclusive budget beach finder. Or find a featured all-inclusive package to Ocean by H10 Hotels. And do your deal at CheapCaribbean.com. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com concertweek to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club.